You are listening to the SCC Cast, weekly teaching and preaching from Springview Community Church. Find us on the web at www.springviewcc.org. We are located at 12881 Andersonville Road in Davisburg, Michigan. We welcome you to come as you are to experience a friendly worship setting with biblical preaching, teaching, and application. Now, here's our guest speaker. Good morning. It's a privilege to be with you today and to share the word with you. And while you're opening to Luke chapter 4, I want to inform you that life has its challenges and problems. I want to make sure I have the right audience today. Are any of you aware that life has challenges and problems? Yes. Passage that was read earlier gives us some bookends for a very important section in Luke's gospel. Luke, as you may know, is unique among the gospels because Luke's writing is not primarily designed chronologically. While he starts with the birth of Christ, he organizes, if you will, like a research paper, like an essay, and puts things together for particular purposes. He studied the material, he says in Acts 1, for both Luke and Acts, and he puts things together. And when he does that, I marvel at the unique messages he conveys. This particular section, we need to make sure we understand the bookends so that we can understand what he presents for us to see, for us to understand, and for what his readers needed to comprehend. In chapter 4, when he talks about Jesus in the synagogue and reading from Isaiah, the announcement is profound, and it is vital because he explains his ministry. He says, the Spirit is upon me, he's anointed me anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom. He talks in what they understood to be physical terms when he said recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed. And while he will demonstrate that on a physical level, his ultimate goal is beyond that. You with me? The end, the other bookend, at the end of chapter 5, Jesus, in response to what he has just done in the whole section, frankly, is that I didn't come for healthy people. Now, we know, because we're so insightful and mature, we know that nobody's totally healthy. And if you're healthy today, be grateful, because tomorrow it could change. I speak from experience. 
And he says, I didn't come to call the righteous those who deem themselves, we call it, self-righteous. But I came to call sinners. And he's correlating for us here healthy and righteous, right? Sick and sinners. And what I want us to do this morning is to look and see several examples of sick and sinners. And he gives us several illustrations. Now, I need an hour. And I lobbied hard. But I don't have an hour. So I'm going to go fast. But you gifted listeners are capable of, of absorbing the material quickly. But we're going we're gonna to speed through this. But this is so fascinating to me. And I think by the time we finish, you will agree. The focus is on these multiple examples, real people with real needs. Now, if you're not real people and you don't have real needs, tune it out. Otherwise, stick with me. And as we do, I'm going to give you a simple outline that we're going to follow. Didn't have time to put it together for you in a nice outline, but hopefully you'll have some space or some paper to write on. And we're going to look at four things in each of the multiple examples of Jesus interacting with real people. The first one we're going to, thing we're going to look at is the person. Who is the person Jesus is interacting with and ministering to? Okay? Secondly will be, what is their problem or their need? Okay? Third is Jesus' solution. And then fourthly will be, what is the response? Got it? Who is the person? What's their need or their problem? How does Jesus minister to them? And what's the response? All right? Hang on. We're going to go. Ready, set. Chapter 4, the first person. Right after this announcement. Comes in verse 31. And by the way. After Jesus' announcement, look at verse 28, chapter 4, verse 28. All the people in the synagogue were thrilled to hear that Jesus had come to proclaim good news to those in need. No, 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 they're not thrilled. They're furious. Are they healthy or are they sick? Verse 31, he went down to Capernaum. He began to teach, and they were amazed at his teaching because his message had authority. In the synagogue, there was a man possessed by what? person is an unnamed man. An unnamed man. Ordinary guy, doesn't appear to be important. We're not given his name. 
What is his problem? What is his need? Well, he is possessed by an evil spirit. And he cries out at the top of his voice. Now, what's the problem with being possessed with an evil spirit? On a scale of 1 to 10, how serious might that be in life? Why would, why would that be a serious issue? Because he's not in control of his own life. He's dominated and controlled by an evil, wicked spirit. You've got to give that at least a 6 on a scale of 1 to 10, right? How many of us would have some empathy and some care and concern for somebody like this? What their daily experience is like. And he cries out to Jesus, says, what do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? He's in the process of living a destructive life already, is he not? I know who you are. Evil spirit confesses he knows who Jesus is, but many of the righteous people love, right? What an ironic thing. What's Jesus' solution? How does he minister to him? Verse 35, be quiet, Jesus said sternly, come out of him. Then the demon threw the man down before them all and came out, notice, without injuring him. Jesus demonstrates his authority over evil and gives the man what? Freedom. He said that's why he came, to bring freedom to the oppressed. Is this guy oppressed? Now he has freedom. Well, how would you respond? If you were there and you saw this happen, or you related, or a friend previously of this man, how would you respond? What would your response be? You shouldn't do that, Gene. No. You would rejoice. You would be thrilled that this man has been set free. Verse 36, all the people were amazed, and they said, what is this? With authority and power, he gives orders to eat. He gives freedom. And they were amazed. They were amazed. Second person, verse 38. Jesus left the synagogue and went to the home of Simon. And Simon's mother-in-law, Simon's mother-in-law, that's the person. What do we know about her? Uh, she has at least one daughter. She's a mom. Don't know if she still has a husband. We don't get her name. Doesn't appear to be anything mentioned that's significant about her. Ordinary, everyday. But this is a female woman. First one was male, this one's female. Aren't you glad Jesus ministered to both? That culture, women weren't exactly always highly esteemed. Here's a woman, unnamed, related to Simon, not given much as to who Simon is. 
What's her need? Notice verse 38. She is suffering. Gee, I wonder what that connotes. Suffering. Maybe things aren't real pleasant for her, right? No, because she has a fever. What goes with fever? Chills? Aches and pains? It's just not real pleasant. Uh, Many years ago, I remember one day having a fever. Man, I couldn't get warm. I went in the shower, thought I was going to burn my skin. I just couldn't get warm. Suffering. On a scale of 1 to 10. Fever. What, what? Not that big a deal. You get through it, it'll pass. Must have been a pretty big deal because they were concerned for her, and it was a high fever, and they said, Jesus, can you help? By the way, if you look for examples of times when Jesus has asked for help, and he says, no. I, I, I can't think of too many examples of that in the New Testament. You? I know there are times when they said, well, we think you ought to do this. And he said, no, it's not time for that. But when somebody comes and says, can you help? By the way, if I had been smarter and more mature as a child and even as an adult, I would have found that it's a lot better instead of trying to tell people what to do if you would ask them for help. (laughs) The response is, it's amazing. I, I probably shouldn't tell you this. So I won't. I will. I learned early on in my ministry, I'd go to people and say, man, I, can you help me? Can you help me? We, we, we got, can you help? They asked Jesus, so what's, what does Jesus do? He bent over her, rebuked the fever, and it left her, and she got up at once, and she was free. She was free because she did what? She began to serve. Isn't that great? Isn't that great? Jesus set her free. Suffering's over. And now she can function and she can serve. And what's the response? Well, what would you expect? I mean, the normal natural response, you see somebody who's suffering, right? I was chatting this morning with this dear friend here who had some suffering for some time, probably at least three or four weeks, right? A couple years. And and his wife is so discouraged now that he's got some relief. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. All right. How many have we looked at so far? One man, unnamed. One woman, unnamed. Let's continue. Go down to chapter 5 and let's go to verse 12. While Jesus was in one of the towns, a man came along. Person is an unnamed man. Is he well known or not so well known in the community? Oh, he's very well known, frankly. 
He's very well known because he has a particular need, and I want you to understand that his problem is also his identity. They don't call him Bill. He's known as a man who has leprosy. His situation in life defines his identity. How serious is this particular need? Well, you people are well taught. And you understand the implications and the significance of a man in that culture who was covered with covered with leprosy. Literally a skin-eating disease that had no cure and had no treatment. And the result of that had very serious family, social, relational implications. Because everywhere that person went, number one, he was put outside the city, not allowed to live and have contact with people. And everywhere he went, what did he have to do? And what's the penalty if he doesn't do that? You ever wonder about that? If he doesn't start yell unclean, what are they going to do to him? I mean, put me out of my misery, who cares? On a scale of 1 to 10, how serious is this? I think I'd take the high fever. Although the high fever may have been life-threatening. May have been. Please note, his problem is his identity. And when he saw Jesus, how does Jesus minister to this man? He fell on his face and he begged Jesus, Lord, if, if you're willing, you can make me healthy. Why did Jesus come? I didn't come to call the righteous. I didn't come to call the healthy. But I came to minister to the sick the sinners. Jesus reached out his hand and did the unthinkable. He had contact. He touched the man, said, I'm willing to be clean. And immediately, he was clean. He's free. He's healthy. I wonder if you were related to this man, how you would respond when you saw that he was clean. News spread rather quickly, verse 15, even though Jesus said, this is just, let's keep this between us. And when people are set free, it's hard to keep that quiet. When people are made whole, it's hard to keep that quiet. When your problem is your identity and the problem is remedied, it's hard to keep that quiet. Verse 17, another person. Jesus is teaching. He's teaching the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. Verse 18, some men came carrying a paralytic person is an unnamed man, another person whose need is his identity. 
at least this man, one thing we know about him is he has some people who care about him and he has some friends. That's good because it's good even if you have needs to have friends. It's good. And what is his problem? He's a paralytic. What does that mean? What does that mean? It means he can't do what you did this morning. He can't bring himself through those doors into this building, into this room, because he can't walk anywhere he wants to go. No motorized wheelchairs. No walker to help him get where he wanted to go. He is totally dependent to move on the help and assistance of other people. How serious is that? Would you call him healthy? Nope. You and I, for about two days, would be had like, I had enough of this. What is Jesus' solution? How does Jesus minister to him? This, this one's quite different. Verse 20, when Jesus saw their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. What? You imagine, imagine these guys, they go to all this trouble to get this guy here, and what is their expectation, and what is their ultimate hope? And Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. Oh, we don't want that. That's not why we came. Fix the problem. He didn't fix the problem. The most important problem. Sins are forgiven. Only Jesus can do that. We sang about it, right? Only Jesus can do that. Is it good news? Yeah, great news. And then it goes on. I don't have time to get into it, but it goes on, and Jesus does heal him physically. He speaks, which you see multiple times in these illustrations. Jesus has the authority. When he speaks, it happens. He says, get up and walk, and the guy gets up and he walks. He's set free. And what's the response? Verse 26, they were amazed, and they gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and said, man, we've, we've, this, is, this is unique, man. This is something. Verse 27. After this, Jesus went out. He saw a tax collector. This guy's got a name. I've got a name. It's a man, and his name is Levi, and what else do we know about him? We know his profession. And you're well taught. You understand the significance and the implications in that culture at that time of what, what it meant to be a tax collector, right? His middle name would be Cheater. He's a cheat. How does he make his money? By collecting taxes. And instead of saying you owe this much, he adds some 
for himself. And he's a cheat. And everybody loves cheaters. He's highly esteemed in the culture. Everybody wants to be his best friend because he's a cheat. Is he healthy? No, he's a cheater. Is he righteous? No, he's a cheater. Everybody knows. And he is defined for being a cheater. How serious is his need? We're getting to the point where I need to ask you of the individuals we've looked at so far that Luke is illustrating for us, whose shoes would you prefer to be in if you had to pick one? I have in my Bible this note where it says, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector. Right above it, I put the word unclean. Would you rather be the unclean leper, the unclean spirit, or the unclean cheat? Good options, thanks. What's Jesus' solution? You, cheater, you follow me. Come be free. Come be free. Get healthy. In his response, verse 28, Gave it all up. Gave up his identity. Gave up his profession. Gave up his income. Gave it all up. Said, I'll take freedom. I'll take freedom. And what's the response? Yay! We're so glad. This is great. Jesus, he frees a cheat. so fast. The Pharisees, the righteous ones, right? They said to the disciples, man, what's he doing? What's he doing? And here's the bookend we talked about. Jesus said, I'm doing exactly what I said I came to do, man. Exactly why I was sent. Now, if you noticed, we skipped somebody. And we got to go back. Chapter 5, verse 1. One more person that we need to consider. And his name is Peter. Simon Peter. And what do we know about Simon Peter? He's a fisherman. That's what he's been doing his whole life. That's his profession. It's how he gets his income. Probably brought up in a family where his father was a fisherman. He was trained, brought up catching fish. And we know he has friends, and we know he has partners. And we know that he's 
by the lake and he's listening to Jesus teach. And Jesus comes along, verse 2, and he sat at the water's edge. And the fishermen were washing their nets. Why are they washing their nets? Because they'd been out fishing and the nets needed cleaning. And Jesus got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and he said to Simon, let's... Um, Let's put out a little ways from shore. And then he taught the people. And when he had finished, he said to Simon, Let's go out into the deep water, and you let down your nets for a catch. Anybody have King James Version here today? Can tell me the word in the King James for catch? drought, drought, right? Not lack of rain, drought, drought. You know what that word means? That word literally means to the point of sinking. It's not we'll go catch a handful. It's we will catch an overwhelming amount of fish. Now, what's Peter's profession? Simon says, verse 5, Master, let me explain a couple things. This, this teaching thing, you're pretty good at. Fishing is not your thing. It's my thing. Not your thing. If it was your thing, you would understand that we've been working hard all night. You know why we've been out fishing all night? Because the best time to catch fish for them was at night. And we worked hard and we're professionals. And it wasn't a good night. Now you want us to go out at the wrong time I don't think it's a good idea. It just, it's not going to work. But, Master, I'll obey. I don't think it's a good idea. In fact, I think it's a dumb idea. Master, I'll do it. Those of you that have children understand the difference between a child who willingly obeys with a good attitude versus a child who says, I may be sitting down on the inside or on the outside, but I'm not sitting down on the inside. You have power and you have control over me and I may not like the consequences, so I'm going to comply, but I don't like this idea. I don't like it one bit. None of you ever had kids like that, right? Don't point if your children are here. Peter doesn't have any problems, does he? Peter doesn't have a need, does he? Why would Luke put him in here? Right in the middle. Why would he put him in here? I suspect you know the story. 
verse 6. When they had done so, they caught not just a few, not just pretty good. They caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. You have any idea how often this kind of thing happened? Never! Their nets began to break. They called their partners over in the other boat and said, hey, man, we need some help. And they filled both boats so full, they began to sink. Now, that's a, that's a terrible dilemma for a fisherman. Do you, do you understand what that... I got a choice here. I either got to throw fish out of the boat or I'm going to drown. That's a horrible dilemma. They, they want to catch the fish, to sell the fish, to have income, and, and it's like, whoa, this is rich. We're going to make big money here. But if, but if they don't do something, the boat's going down. They don't have cranes to get a boat back up, Right? Their boat goes down. They're out of business. Why would Jesus do this? Why would Jesus do this? Now, if I was Peter, forgive me. If I was Peter, let me tell you what, what would immediately run through my mind. Jesus, we need to be partners. <laughs> this is this is. Oh, good. We got to partner up. Doesn't even have to be 50-50. But, but this would be awesome. We could go out at the wrong time. Fill the boat. Like, quickly. So like we, it couldn't be any better than this. You talk about margin and profit and overhead issues. This is awesome. Let's be partners, okay? Jesus didn't come to be partners. Jesus comes to be Lord. What do you think Peter's need is? He tells us. We saw an example of a man possessed by an evil spirit. He's unclean. Levi the cheat is unclean. What does Peter say? Get, get away from me. I'm unclean. Notice how he refers to Jesus in verse 5 and how he refers to Jesus in verse 8. That's a very significant transformation, is it not? From one who deems an obligation to one who deems to be submissive. Peter obeyed, didn't he? No, he didn't. Because if he had obeyed, he wouldn't have said, I'm unclean. He didn't really obey. 
not the kind of obedience that he knew Jesus desires. Verse 8, he saw this and he fell at Jesus' knees. He said, go away from me, Lord. I am unclean. I'm a sinful man. Interesting, Jesus' solution is not a command. Jesus' solution is a shared experience that reveals who he is. And what he does is he shows something to Peter that's critically important for all those who are prideful and self-sufficient and think they're righteous. And that is that what in Peter's view would be the ultimate in life when Jesus is clearly seen for who he is, becomes insignificant. Because if we could have asked Peter that day, what would be the ultimate for you? Can you imagine Peter going out and in one drop of the net, you max out, fill the boat, fill both boats. That's the ultimate for somebody who's a fisherman by profession. And what happens to the ultimate catch of fish that Peter experienced? What happens to it? It gets left on the shore to rot and decay. And though Jesus doesn't give any command, their response is to leave it all and follow him because they've been set free. Fish that were alive are now caught and they die. Jesus says, from now on, you can catch something that is dead and they can become alive. Which is more significant? An amazing, record-setting, boat full of fish, or seeing the transformation of a life changed by the power of Christ. How serious is Peter's need? If you had to choose, we've looked at six, count them, six different individuals. Person, needy, solution from Jesus, and the response. Six. If you had to pick one, if you had to relate or identify with one, I think Peter's the most serious of all six. Book ended. Luke points them all out. Six. Don't miss it. I think Peter's maybe the most serious. To the Pharisees, who was the most serious? Oh, the tax collector, the cheater. He's so unclean. Life has its problems and challenges, does it not? The good news Jesus came to proclaim is that it came to set people free. That's the ultimate priority. Other problems for those of us who already know Christ, he will give us the strength and see us through. I hope you believe that. But for those who are in bondage 
to themselves, to their own pride. Only Jesus can set them free. Father, we thank you this morning that your son came, paid our penalty so that we could be free. Free to submit to the Lord of all. Free to experience life as intended by our Creator. Lord, there are people in this room that have some challenges they're facing. Might even have a need or two. Thank you that you know us and you love us. And you desire to help us, to strengthen us, to encourage us today. Help us to know that you love us more than we can understand. Thank you, whether it's an insignificant person, male or female, named or unnamed, you cared. Thank you that you care for us today. We thank you in Jesus.